All right, against the flow. Last week, uh, Dave preached about discipleship. We're going to continue down that road a little bit further. And uh, I've entitled this Against the Flow. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to be unlike everyone else in the world around you. All right? To be his disciple is to be unlike everyone else. It means that we are following a master who simply does not fit in. And so submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ will involve rebelling against the principalities and the powers and the authorities of this world around us. It means rebelling against the culture around you, rebelling against their rules for how you should think, who, how you should act, how you should live. 1 John 2.15 tells us, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You cannot be a Christian unless you are willing to say no to the push and the pull of the culture around you. To be a Christian is to have chosen to love God and to renounce the love of the world. John says you either love the Father or you love the world. You cannot have both. Jesus himself said you, no man can serve two masters. You will love the one and you will hate the other. Personally, uh, I grew up in a, a church, third generation Christian, going to Sunday school, saying my prayers, even opening my Bible once in a while. I was 16 when I was confronted with the truth that what I had was not real Christianity. That there was something missing. Christianity is about living in a daily, moment-by-moment relationship with Jesus Christ. And he demands that we follow him all the time, 24-7. And, and I was really slow to get that. But then I, I, was, I was confronted with this. And, and I had to, to make some changes. I would no longer live for myself. You know, you know how easy it is to live for yourself? You, we all know that, right? We're good at it. We just naturally live for me. And to be a disciple of Jesus meant to live for him instead. And for me personally at the time, it, it meant that I was going to stop going to parties. And drinking, you know, I was 16. I, I was experimenting with with this stuff. And between New Year's Eve and the end of February, I went to exactly three parties, and I learned what it was like to get drunk, and I learned how the other side lived. And 
and the Holy Spirit spoke to me inside, and I, I remember thinking, this is, this is not the path for me. I'm called to be someone else. I want to follow Jesus Christ, and that was where it began. When I was, I had to reorient my life towards the person of Jesus Christ. When I was 17, I became convinced. Uh, that secular rock music was not for me. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> there it is. These things are called records. <laughs> or LPs, or albums. LP stands for long play, by the, t- by the way. And I had a collection of these things. About 30 to 40 of them, I, I lost count. It was about $300 worth, nearly. And this was back in the 80s. It was, it was a lot of money for, for a 16-year-old. And uh, I had, I loved this music. I loved, I, I grew up in, surrounded by music, and I loved this stuff. And I felt like the Lord was, was telling me to put it away. And so I found uh, uh, an old tin garbage can in my parents' backyard, and I lit a fire, and I threw these things in. And, and... It melted and, and made this thick plastic cake at the bottom of the, the can. It didn't hold as much as it used to anymore. And, uh, and it stank. It really stank. But I had to say no to this idol that was in my life and in my heart. You know, the, the, the Ephesians did, did the same thing in, in Acts uh, 18. All these magicians with their magic books and they they burned them. Why? Because they were saying no to the gods that they used to worship and saying yes to Jesus Christ. I, uh, a few years later, uh, I was 21, and I, uh, I decided my guitar just didn't fit me anymore. This is a Guild X79, my first electric guitar. Isn't it beautiful? Nice, beautiful-looking heavy metal guitar. Well, it just didn't fit me anymore, so I tried selling this thing. Couldn't sell it at a good price, so I decided to give it away to a friend. Why? Because my heart does not belong to the instrument. It does not belong to the music. It belongs to Jesus Christ. And I had to be free from this idol that was in my heart. And so I said no to this in order to continue my walk with Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that other people have to do exactly as I did. Sometimes God gives you rules that are just for you. Okay? He does that sometimes. You know, Samson, right? The the Nazarite vow was voluntary. Not everybody did it, and when you did, it was temporary. But, but God singled out Samson and said, he, this, this child is going to be a Nazarite for life. Okay. And sometimes God gives you rules for, just for you. And, and when he does, you'd better follow. When Jesus calls, you follow. When he gives you a rule, you obey. All right? Because it is, leading, it is leading you down the path that God has for you. And when you follow, you'll be blessed. When you follow, he's going to bring you to a place of peace, of strength, of fruitfulness that you will not have otherwise. And so God was, I had to 
I had to throw these things away to free up my hands to receive what God wanted to give me in life. Okay? And so, uh, I had to repent. I had to change my way of thinking, my way of living. You know, the, the Gospels, each of the four Gospels, started with introducing Jesus, and it started with John the Baptist preaching uh, a gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What does it mean to repent? Well, this is from the Latin. I'm not, I don't know Latin, okay? Never studied, but, but to repent means to rethink, to, to reevaluate, to change your mind, to change your attitude, to change your posture about something. And the Christian life begins with repentance. When I immigrated from Taiwan to Canada at age eight, I was almost nine, I had to adapt to a, a whole new culture and a whole new way of living. And even the language, the language was the hardest part, right? You have to speak differently now and you have to act differently. And, and everything means differently than what you think it would mean. I had to adapt to a different culture. Three years later, I became a Canadian citizen. And even though I was a citizen, I, I had to continue this process of changing and adapting and learning this culture. Repentance. You've been called to live the crucified and resurrected life. You've been called to follow Jesus Christ. And being a disciple means that you've died to who you used to be. And you've died to the ways of the, the culture around you. You have died to the love of this world. It means you've been raised to new life in Christ. And life is all about Him. I know you've heard this before. But has it sunk in? Do, do, we, do we live this each day? Do we get up in the morning and say, I, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Do we, is, this, is this how we live? Is this the overall governing principle of our minds and of our hearts? Is this what rules our life? Is it about Jesus Christ? You've been purchased by Jesus. He says, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. There's a God who created you. You belong to him. There's a, there's a savior who died for you, who purchased you with his own blood. You belong to him. The question is whether we're willing to pay the debt that we owe and say, yes, Lord, this is yours. I'm not my own. I've been bought at a price. If you were to take this seriously, what, what would that change in your life? How would my life look differently? 
to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Point number two, if you're taking notes, Dave. (laughs) To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to surrender to a process of transformation. Uh, Romans 12 and... Last service, that slide was not in there and it did not magically insert itself into my PowerPoint. I apologize for that. Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It begins... As you look back to what Christ has done for you, it begins with giving your body. Have you, have you ever thought about the fact that everything you ever do flows through your body? You're not just minds floating around on, on, on a cloud. You're, your body is a part of who you are. And you do not worship apart from your body. You do not serve apart from your body. God created you to be bodies in this physical world. And we give ourselves to him. It belongs to him. But then he goes on. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So we give him our bodies, we give him our minds. And there's a transformation of how we think. But then we read on. uh, That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. When you surrender yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, you acquire discernment at a whole new level about what is good what is pleasing what is desirable you start changing what you consider to be desirable there's a transformation of the desires you know you are not uh, growing as a disciple you are not Uh, You are not growing as a Christian unless your desires are changing. We need transformed taste buds. In order to enjoy spiritual food. There needs to be a change. It can't be just at a mental, intellectual level. It has to be a transformation of the desires of our hearts. This is the reversal of what happened in the Garden of Eden. You know, uh, there was a, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and, and Satan tempted Adam and Eve to take of this tree. But what, it, what did it mean? The knowledge of good and evil. It meant that I will decide for myself what is good for me, what is beneficial for me. I will decide for myself what is harmful for me, what I will avoid. And that prerogative belongs to God alone. And the temptation was to take it upon ourselves and say, I will choose. And, and you see this coming back in the book of Judges. Right? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Samson looking at the Philistine woman and saying, she is right in my eyes. 
choose right for me. I will decide for myself what is good and desirable and pleasing. And in the process, we say no to the God who created us. And, and Paul says, wait a minute. Jesus has purchased you with his blood. And, and it's time to reverse the process. And you bow and you submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. And in the process, you not only change your minds, but your desires are transformed. Your judgments about what is good and right and pleasing and desirable for you. Do you, do you trust God to love you? Do, do you trust his desires to, to, be, to be the best for you? That when, we, when we look at this scripture here, Galatians 5, 17, there's the desires of the spirit and the desires of the flesh. Have you noticed this is about desires? And to grow as a disciple of Christ means that our desires are changed. That we begin to love what the Holy Spirit loves. And we begin... To hate what the Holy Spirit hates. And we begin to say no to what the flesh desires. Flesh, by the way, means me without God. Me on my own, apart from Him. And Paul says, look, you, these two are opposed to each other. You decide to walk in the Spirit according to the desires of the Spirit. It's been a long process. It's been a long journey. And I've wrestled with twisted, world-conforming desires in my heart. But there is a way out the other side where... We start acquiring a taste for the things of God. And we start loving what he loves. And church, uh, if I could, if I could just, just, you know, send out a virus into your brains and, and just reprogram <laughs> what's going, rewire what's going on in your heart. I would want to install in there something like the Holy Spirit who desires what God desires, who who loves what Jesus loves, so that you would live out of this love for the things of God. Number three, to, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to stand firm against opposition. Our Father is a Father of mercies. He's a God of all comfort, so we're told in 2 Corinthians 1.3. But He is not the God of the comfortable. And it is one thing for God to be the God of all comfort, but quite another to be the God of the comfortable. There is no such God in the Bible. If you are committed to being comfortable in this life, 
Christianity is not for you. Okay? If you are committed to, be, to the life of ease, if you are committed to a life free from pain, the Christian life is not for you. If you want to fit in with everyone else around you, you're following the wrong master. Jesus was not that. They hated him. They rejected him. They nailed him to the cross. And they're doing the same to Christians around the world. What will you do when you were faced with the choice? Will I go to the cross for Jesus? You do not simply coast along in life following the path of least resistance and end up standing before Jesus saying to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's not how the story goes. He, he, he places that, that acclaim, he places that, that blessing, he places that well done on, on his servants who have chosen to follow him at a cost who will say no to the pressures of the world around him one who swims upstream moving against the flow of culture see this this is really the the primary picture that that i have for you today as i've been praying about this message salmon struggling to swim upstream in order to get to a better place, a peaceful, uh, safe uh, uh, environment to, to, to spawn and to be fruitful and to multiply. When, when you give up the fight, all right, as soon as you give up the fight, you will be flushed downstream out into the ocean where the predators are. It's a constant struggle against the forces of culture that are pushing against you and pushing against your Lord Jesus Christ. And we're called to swim upstream. That's the life of the disciple. So God is calling us to higher ground spiritually. And, and you know, when you, when you get there, there is, there is a place of peace. There's a place where of safety where your feet are planted on solid ground where we can be fruitful and multiply there's a place of maturity and and you know in in this world you're never going to be completely free from the struggle you're never going to be completely free from enemies but but god has a better place for you but the path of least resistance will not lead you there we fight our way upstream against the flow of culture. Now, let's turn to Acts chapter 3. 
Acts chapter 3 and 4, I've been pondering this story for quite some time. Uh, it's been a few years that I've thought about uh, whether to preach this, how to preach this, uh, when to preach this. But I don't have a... But Peter and John, this, this was at the very beginning of the church, at the very beginning of Christianity. And, and here's Peter and John. Uh, walking towards the temple see they were still they were still jews and they were there to worship they were there for a time of prayer but they saw the lame man and they decided to heal him right uh or god decided to heal him silver and gold have i none but in the name of jesus christ rise up and walk and the man got up and he walked he was completely healed and restored and so all the people gathered around what's going on here and peter started to preach peter started to preach it is it is in the name of jesus christ whom you crucified but god raised from the dead it is in the name of this jesus that this man stands before you healed and so they they preached and then as they preached the the temple authorities came the chief priests and the temple guards came and arrested them and and so here they are before the the sanhedrin or sorry before the the priests and before the sadducees who did not like their message and they threatened them and told them not to preach in the name of jesus again see they were offended the sadducees and the priests were uh they they were in a way they were the theological liberals uh much like the liberal theologians of the of the 19th and 20th century who did even though they had the scriptures they did not quite believe all of it they were naturalists they did not believe in miracles they did not believe in angels and demons and they did not believe in the resurrection and so when they started preaching about this jesus whom you crucified okay and said god raised him from the dead and they started healing people they, these priests were offended and the sadducees were offended we, we need to shut these people up and they said uh we don't you speak the name of jesus again don't stop preaching this stuff and and peter and john said whether it is right in the sight of god to listen to you rather than to god you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard they decided to say no to the pressures of the authorities that were coming against them this was the conflict the beginning of the conflict between the christian church and the the jewish authorities the, the temple authorities and and we see luke uh, playing this out beautifully in, in the book of acts where we're acts chapter 2 the holy spirit comes fills the church and the church becomes the new temple of god and you still have this physical temple that was standing there with the establishment and with the priestly clan and everything that had been going on uh, and continuing on without god and and god says i have a new temple here and 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 the story plays out and the the conflict begins here in chapter three in chapter four and and it keeps 
escalating until finally uh, the Jewish establishment completely rejected the gospel, completely kicked out the Christians out of their synagogues, and the Christians were forced to recognize that we are now a separate religion. We, we, we've gone our separate ways. But it began here. And as we think about the Sadducees, as we think about the priests, how does this apply to our situation? Who stands in the place? of the Sadducees and priests today. Well, some people might rush to say, wow, that's just organized religion. You heard that before? I've heard that before. That's organized religion. And what they mean is, well, those are like churches and pastors and, you know, those hypocritical hypocritical leaders uh, of religion. And, well, usually these are, are people with unresolved authority issues in their life. Uh, usually unresolved father issues in their life. Right? Uh, I mean, just look at it. These priests and Sadducees were people who rejected Jesus Christ. Okay? The apostles, they were the ones preaching the gospel. So which side are you on? Which side is the church on? Are they, are they preaching the gospel? Ask yourself, are they preaching the gospel? Okay? And, and so... Uh, how do we apply this? It, are they the government? Well, the Sadducees, and they, they weren't exactly the government. They were under Roman rule. I want you to notice that first century Judaism and, and Judea and, and this, this state was, was uh, immersed in a religious culture. And the Old Testament religion was embedded in their culture until the two are inseparable. And now the priests, uh, they were the guardians of this culture and they were the authorities of this culture. Okay. And so we need to ask ourselves, who rules over the mindsets and the, and the, of the masses in our culture today? It's not you. I'll, I'll leave you to, to ponder that. Who are the powerful, mind-shaping, culture-shaping forces of our day? Whoever you can identify, realize that they are not your friends. They hate the gospel you preach and the Jesus that you stand for. And most of all, they want you to shut up about the gospel and not to say anything against the creeds and the dogmas of our Western culture today. There is, there's an orthodoxy, there's a cultural orthodoxy that you're supposed to conform to. And if you're following Jesus, you're not going to fit in. And you will suffer. And as Christians, we say, bring it on. <laughs> We're not moving. We follow Jesus Christ and no one else. Judge for yourself whom you should listen to, whether to God or to them. Jesus calls us 
to be light in the world, to let your shine, let your good deeds shine before men. But you need to discern exactly what it looks like in your situation, but, but it's, going to, it's going to mean that you don't give in, that you stand firm, that you speak the gospel of Christ, you demonstrate the gospel with your good works. Um, yesterday we had the life hike, and uh, you know, as as Christians, we we stand against abortion. Why? We need to understand that abortion is not a political issue. Do you get that? They want to make it into that, but abortion is not a political issue. Abortion is a human life issue. And human life does not belong to the government to do with as it pleases. Human life belongs to God and God alone. And that's why we say no to abortion. Not to mention the, the women who are, are deeply wounded and, and ruined for life. And the men who, who are deeply uh, wounded for life. Right? Abortion is a, is a destructive money-making machine but ultimately it's a religious issue because life belongs to god not the government and and we need to recognize that do you know that sexuality is is not a political issue do you know that marriage is not a political issue it's it's a religious issue why because who created marriage who created sex who created male and female? Who created the family? This is not a political issue. These things belong to God alone. And I don't care what label they put on themselves. If, uh, if you agree with God, I'll agree with you. If you disagree with him, I'll disagree with you. Okay? Bonhoeffer was a pastor and a theologian who lived in Hitler's Nazi Germany. And he lived in a time when, when Hitler demanded the allegiance of all the people, of all the churches, of all the church leaders, and the majority of the church leaders said yes. They caved in and said yes to Adolf Hitler. Even though he was demolishing the Jews and the gypsies, the Down syndrome kids, and the disabled, and everyone else. Uh, that, that didn't conform to his idea of, of what a human being was. Bonhoeffer chose to say no to the authorities of his culture in order to say yes to Jesus Christ. And he paid for it with his life. That is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I was raised in an immigrant Taiwanese family. My father worked for three years in Indonesia, far away from home, nearly three years, in order to afford to bring us here to Canada as a family. And, 
and there was this mindset that this this is a land of opportunity you can get a good education here good university education in order to get a good well-paying job build a good career so you can be financially stable and secure for life that was their dream that was their vision for us as a family my dad my dad was a chemical engineer um, my brother uh, went into med school uh, he has since become a surgeon and then a vascular surgeon and uh, after a year of pre-med i decided that this was not for me and so i uh, i told my parents that i want to do bible college okay go for a year and then uh, and then find something to do with your life you know doesn't have to be med engineering something in the sciences something that's going to get you a career well it just never went that way god had other plans for me and i had to say no to the systems of my family and the culture of my family and to say no to my parents in order to say yes to jesus christ and you know in in a way they they were right i mean bible college really didn't get me at that good high-paying job that they had dreamed for me to have and uh now decades later i'm i'm still the charity case of the family <laughs> and they're giving me stuff left and right it's it's, it's great <laughs> and and god's given me a, a nurse for a wife so i'm provided for <laughs> but but this was just not not the dream that that my parents had for me but i had to say no to their vision for me in order to say yes to what god has for me and and i've never looked back i'm so glad i'm so glad that god gave me the grace to move against the flow of my family as a follower of jesus christ you're going to have to push against the flow of culture again and again and again against the flow of the systems around you they want you to think like them they want you to talk like them act like they want you to love the things that they love and god the holy spirit wants you to love the things that he loves and so as we come to the end here what what kind of specific applications are there for your life i don't pretend to to know uh what god is saying to you what kind of things in your life that he is pointing out but 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 i invite you to to ask open your heart to the lord and ask what would be different if i was wholly surrendered to the lord jesus christ to his plans for me to his desires for me what kind of things do i love that jesus does not love what kind of things do i desire and pursue that jesus does not desire for me and would not have me to be what would it look like in your specific situation how would you live and act differently
What kind of things has a hold on your life, on your heart, on your desires? So I invite you to allow the Lord to, to speak to you about these things. And, you know, I'm, I'm continuing this process. I'm not glorified yet. He, he continued to, to show us things and to bring us along. But, but I'll tell you, there's no life like it. All right? Following Jesus Christ with all your heart. And so what's the next step for you? Let, let me pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for, for this precious family of believers. And thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives in us. Lord, as we, as we give ourselves to you, our bodies, our minds, as we surrender our hearts to you, we ask you to examine us and show us what do we love too much? What do we love wrongly? And how would you reshape our hearts? Lord, we ask you to have your way and help us to take the next steps as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We love you. We, want, we trust you to be good to us. We want your way in our lives. And so will you come and guide us in this. In Jesus' name, amen.